joined a college ministry, so a church, and, and it was a bunch of young people, uh, college students, and th- it felt interesting. It felt cool because there, weren't, there wasn't any adults. It was all these kids, and we were, we were running our own ministry, doing our own thing. And, and with that, there wasn't like set structures or rules or whatever, and so basically we just kind of ran things how we, how we saw fit, and it was, it was a great time. Um, but one of, the, one of the roadblocks in, in, in that ministry was I remember after about a couple months being in this college ministry as a freshman, I was invited to a party. Um, and, and again, it wasn't just like a party where you play games. It was a party where you drink. And, and I remember I was 18 years old, um, and I was thinking like, oh, man, this is my first test. Like, this is like the, the big one because there's going to be alcohol. And again, these are my church friends. These are the, 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 the people that I, I worship God with. And it's like, oh, man, like, what do I do? What do I do? So before I went to the party, I, I spent some time, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to drink. It's, it's, it's wrong because it's illegal um, because I'm 18. And so I'm not 21. I know other people are going to be drinking, but I'm not going to drink. Uh, I'm just going to go, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good time. I'm going to have a I'm gonna of fun. Um, and so I go to this, I go to this party, and again, it's my church friends, and they're all drinking, they're all, they're all getting drunk, they're all going wild and crazy, and uh, when it comes time to offer me drinks, I'm like, no, no, it's okay, I, I'm not going to drink. And, and thankfully, thankfully, very thankfully, they're like, they were very respective. They're like, oh, that's good. You know, you're a really good Christian kid. And I'm like, wait, but we all go to church together. But okay, it's okay. So I, I won't drink, and it was fine. But something interesting happened. I, I had so much fun with them. And, and it's, again, this isn't to say um, that the, the, the party was holy and it was, it was, it was like the best. But really, I, I got into really deep conversations and, and just a lot of camaraderie. And I began to love on this, this, this group of people. And again, without drinking, uh, there are a few parties that went too crazy that I would have to leave early. But for the most part, I, I just had a fun time um, with them. And I, I got to love this group of people. But what I realized so- quickly especially being a part of a college ministry, was that there was another group. And again, I love this group as well. This group was very close and dear and near to me. But this was the group that was saying, if you even touch alcohol, if you even smell alcohol, if you even go into a room with alcohol, you are sinning before God. You, you need to repent. You need to confess. And again, I love these people because these are the kind of people that I would see and we would go and we would do service opportunities. We would, we would go into the community and help. And they were the ones that were doing all the fun stuff. So it was like during the day, you would go do service opportunities with the, with the holy group. And then at night, you would party with the, with the ungodly, un, ungodly group. So church was great for me because it, it was like I, I was friends with everyone. Everyone. I, I, I had friends with the people um, that, were, that were sinful and unsinful. And I was like, oh man, this is like, I love church. And that's why I became a pastor. But um, basically what ended up happening was one of my really close friends who was a part of the Holy Rollers, like he was one of the straight arrows and, and really clean cut guys. He, he found out that I was going to these parties. And he basically comes, sits me down in our apartment and he's like, hey man, I got to talk to you. I'm like, whoa, okay, what's going on? He goes, you need to stop hanging out with these people. Like, these people, like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know who I'm talking about. You need to stop associating with them. And I'm like, dude, they go to our church. He's like, I know, they shouldn't be. He's like, they're, they're, they're doing bad things. And you shouldn't be hanging out with them. You shouldn't be going out with them. You shouldn't be doing these things. I'm like, hey, man, I'm not drinking. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing any of these things. That you, that you say that I'm doing. He's like, I know you're not, but you still shouldn't associate with them. Like, what they're doing is so bad, it's so wrong, don't even hang out with them. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm going to hang out with them. I'm, I'm going to hang out with these people. They're my friends. I, I care about them. I love them. 
He's like, then I don't think I can be friends with you. I don't think I can associate with you. If you're going to hang out with them, I don't think we can be friends. And I was like, whoa. I was blown away. And again, I'm, I'm not here to tell you about drinking in college. It's, it's, it's not that I, I think I want to talk to you about the heart of my friend. That he was so adamant that what they were doing was wrong. And he was so adamant that he was able to stand his ground and say, I'm not going to hang out with you even if you associate with these people. You may not have experienced something like that, but I'm sure that you've, you've felt it in, in, in maybe a lesser way where uh, someone is in sin or someone is doing something wrong. Something, it may not even be sin. It may just be bad. Just, just looked, like, frowned upon in the culture. And there's a question. What do we do? How do we respond? As a community, how do we approach something like that? And again, before I give you even any ounce of my opinion, I want us to open up the Word of God to Matthew chapter 7. And again, this is going to ruffle some feathers. The reason why it's going to ruffle feathers is because, ah, this is the crazy thing. It's like I'm, I'm talking to you, and some of you grew up in the church, some of you never grew up in the church, but all of you have a preconceived idea of what a church person is like. What I want to do today is reframe your idea of what a church person is supposed to be. Because again, it's not my opinion of what a church person is supposed to be. This is the words of Jesus, the words of Christ. And what I find so frustrating, what I find so hard is that Jesus' words aren't complicated, but they're just very difficult to live out. But the problem is, is that church people, at least my idea of what a church person is, I feel like they have never even heard this before. So open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start from verse 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. This word judge comes from the Greek word krino. And interestingly enough, it's very similar to our English understanding of the word judge. This word krino has two kind of connotations to it. There's a positive and a negative. The positive of krino in Greek means to analyze, to evaluate. If you judge something, you're, you're analyzing, you're evaluating, you're, you're, you're looking at for all its characteristics and you're, and you're seeing it. But there's a second aspect to this word krino, which means condemn. And, and, and I think this is where we need to understand that this word is, is being used in, in a way that we understand as well, that it's not something that we can twist or turn, that Jesus is using this word very clearly. So it says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own? Verse 5, you hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Again, I've read this over and over and over. And it's funny, it begins with saying, judge not. The command is to not judge. 
And, and yet, and yet, even though Jesus is being, being incredibly clear, incredibly clear with what his command is to his followers to not judge, my frustration inside of me that makes it so difficult for me to preach to people I love and I care about is that the frustration is, is that when I think of church people, when I think of the, the, the prototypical Asian American churchgoer or even white American churchgoer, any churchgoer, what I feel personally is judgment. Judgment. What I, what I feel is that people are, yes, analyzing and evaluating me, but what I feel at the end of the day is condemnation. And so this passage, when it begins this way, already I'm beginning to feel this anxiety and this stress because it's like, mm, Jesus is so clear, don't judge, judge not. Because the way in which you judge, that's the way that will, you will be judged. And that in and of itself should scare us a little bit. And it's meant to scare you a little bit. At least, maybe not scare you, at least wake you up. Get you out of this mentality of, of, of coming to church and evaluating, and more than evaluating, condemning people in a way that makes them feel judged. And it's interesting how Jesus in verse 6 talks about giving dogs what is holy. And he talks about throwing pearls before swine, before pigs. And, and the idea of even this is that in, in the Greek, or not even in the Greek, sorry, in the culture of Jesus' time, the word dogs uh, referred to this wild dog. And, and it was actually a pejorative term used to talk about Gentiles. And what ended up happening is, is that when they talked about Gentiles, it was, it was it's pretty bad. I mean, they called them dogs. These people who were not Jewish, they called them dogs. And so Jesus is talking and he's using this language that they would clearly understand. Don't give these dogs what is holy. And I think this verse actually unlocks, it helps us understand a lot of what it means to not judge. So let's, let's talk about what it means to judge. When you judge someone, you're giving a verdict. You are coming to a conclusion, whether it's about them, whether it's about what they're doing, whether it's about a, their character, you are coming to a final conclusion. That's, that's as simple as it gets. When, when you are judging someone, you are stating a fact of, of, of them, of what they've done. You are saying, this is a decree. This is my judgment. This is what you're doing. And again, this is why church gets that feeling of judgment is because we have the Bible. And so what we begin to do is we use the Bible as the law and we say, hey, you're doing wrong. You're obviously breaking God's law. You're breaking this and so you've done wrong. I can clearly judge you and say you've done wrong. The problem with this, the issue with this, is I believe, and not only do I believe, I know this is only meant for God to do. This is meant only from the perspective of God because God being om omniscient, all-knowing, and all-powerful is the only one 
who understands and knows every facet and every nook, every angle and every possible outcome that could ever happen. And so when God places a judgment, he has every right to do so. When God looks at your life, it's not like he's forgetting anything. It's not like he, there's any blind spot that he has that when he makes a judgment on you that he always like, oops, I, I didn't know. That was evidence that wasn't given to me, and, and so my judgment is incorrect. No, when God makes a judgment on us, it's a perfect judgment. The problem when we make judgments is we don't have all the information. Not only do we not have all the information, we don't even have more than one perspective most times. We don't have an infinite number of perspectives, and so when we make judgments, we're already starting on the wrong foot. But again, the reason why this is so important is because when we go to how God does judge, it is so clear. See, God does bring condemnation. And this is what we have to understand. This is so basic and so crucial. It's because sin is bad and God will condemn sin. That is, that is an equation that will always work. Rebellion against God and going against the way that he has prescribed is sin and is deserving of destruction, of death, of condemnation. And this is where many times we've heard about the fire and the brimstone, about, about hell and how you deserve to go to hell. Because exactly when God sees sin, when God sees sin, the only correct response, the only correct response is for him to clean it, is for him to kill it, is for him to destroy it. Sin to God in the eyes of God is a mistake. It is something that is wrong. It is something that is bad. And so what kind of good God, what kind of good king would see something bad and just say, oh, it's okay, just let it grow. Just let it get infected and infested. Just let it infect and kill and destroy. No, a good king will quench it. He'll kill it. He will condemn it. Because his judgment is, that is bad. So I need to squash it. But the reason, the reason why God's judgment is so unique and it's so special is key. See, God's judgment brings perfect condemnation. Meaning that when he sees sin, he destroys it. But here's the thing. When it comes to us, see, the, 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 the thoughts in your head should be this. I'm not perfect. I sin all the time. I make mistakes all the time. I don't follow every word of the Bible. Why isn't God just smushing me? Why isn't he crushing me? Why, why am I not just getting, like, thrown lightning bolts just, just, just to strike me dead? And the key is Jesus. The key is Jesus. See, when God enacts judgment... When he says you deserve to die and you deserve to have all of your sins crushed and your iniquities and you should just be destroyed for all the rebelling you've done. Look at all I've given you and look at what you've done with it. This is what happens in God's judgment. He says you deserve to die. Then Jesus says, I'll take your place. He says, I'll stand in the gap. See, God, being perfect, being holy, he's able to look at you in all of your sin and say, yes, your sin is horrible, it's horrendous, it needs to be crucified. It needs to be executed. It needs to be killed. And this really is where we should be on the cross. We should be executed for all of the things that we fail to do. But see, God's judgment comes with him paying the price for us. See, this is where we do not judge the way that God judges. 
See, God's judgment leads to salvation. God's judgment has a path to salvation. God's judgment draws people to the cross. When someone realizes that God is judging them, that God is looking at their sin and saying, I detest your sin, then the cross becomes appealing. The cross becomes a way that we bow before Jesus and we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. The problem is that when we judge, when you and I judge, when we look at someone and we evaluate them and we say, ah, they're not very good. They're not good people. That's not a good crowd to hang with. Those people, they're, they're the scum of the earth. They're, they're thinking the wrong way. Those Republicans, those Democrats, those, those liberals, those conservatives. When we do these things, the problem is this. We judge, but we don't have a path to salvation. We don't have a path to forgiveness. So when Jesus says, do not judge, he means it. Because you and I are sinful. And when we judge, we don't have the ability, we don't have the power to remain pure and clean the way, jo- the way God, the way Jesus is, a- is able to remain pure and clean. See, church, this is, this is very frightening for me. This is very frightening for all of us. Because then what are we supposed to do? God says we shouldn't be judging. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be condemning. So, so how are we supposed to live? And I want to make it very clear. This, this, this story, this, this analogy that Jesus is using about having a log and a speck. I, I, I want us to understand that at the end of the day, the goal is to help our brother. And I I want us to remember this, that that Jesus used the word brother very appropriately, very specifically, because it's like helping a family member. If I had a brother, I don't have any brothers, but I have sisters. But if I had a brother, and my brother had a speck in his eye, and and, and the speck in his eye was this piece of wood, and it was just sticking out, and it was just kind of like bothering him, and his eye was starting to get infected, a little red. And again, my sisters, I'd probably just laugh at them. But my brother, if I had one, and he had a speck in his eye, and it was just getting gross, I probably would go up to him and be like, hey, man, like, you need to, like, let me get that out for you. Let me, let me help you with that. And, 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 and this is the key, is Jesus doesn't say, don't help your brothers. If they have a speck in their own eye, let them live their life on their own. Let them, just let it get infected. They'll go blind. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. The idea is that you would help. But here's the thing. Here is the crux. If my brother said, no, 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 no. just leave it in there. I, I, I don't want you to touch it. Would I, would, I, would I tell my brother, you're no longer my brother? You're no longer a part of my family. How dare you not take the speck out of your eye? Do you see it's getting infected? Do you see that you may go blind? And yet, I feel like this happens in the church far too often. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, really, think, think about this. If you had a sibling who had an infection... Something that they are dealing with and something that is is plaguing them, is hurting them. And you said, hey, let me help you treat it. Please, let me help. Like, I'll even take you to a professional who can help you deal with the speck in your eye because you need to take it out because it's not good for you. It's it's, it's hindering you. It's it's going to get nasty. It's going to get pussy and gross. Please, let's let's get help for this. That if that person said, no, 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 I, I don't want help. Just leave me alone. Let me, let me live my life the way I want to. Would you say to your brother, you're no longer my brother. You're no longer a part of my family. 
But I see this happen with sin far too often. You find out someone in the congregation, some, a close friend of yours who, who they say they're Christian, a, a family member who says they're Christian, you find out they have a sin in their life. And it may be something that's hidden. Maybe something that's not a speck in their eye, but it's like an infection growing on their side. And, and it's, it's getting nasty. It's getting gross. And you find out about it. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's crazy. You have this gross infection. Or you find out it's something like cancer. And you're like, hey, let's go to the doctor. Let's, let's get treatment for this. And they say, you know what? No, I don't want to deal with it. It's too embarrassing, and it's, it's, it's too much of a struggle. I've tried everything, and I, I, don't want, I don't want it done with. Would you say to that brother, would you say to that sister, would you say to that family member, if you don't get this treated, we're no longer family? I hope not. I genuinely hope not. I genuinely hope that you would continue to try to help them with their disease, help them with their sickness, help them with that speck in their eye. But at the end of the day, you would love them. You would stay with them. You wouldn't disown them. Just because they have an infection, just because they have a sin in their life that's plaguing them, then instead, you would do what you're called to do, which is not to judge. It's to love. And the way in which I know I can help you with your disease is not, is not by me coming out and, 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 and dealing with all of your sickness. I said it last week, but the only, only thing I have to offer you is an introduction to my Savior, an introduction to Jesus. Say, Jesus, can you help my brother? He has this nasty speck in his eye. See, what ends up happening far too often, we become so concerned with the sin of others that we forget even our own sin. See, I think when Jesus calls us hypocrites, when he calls his followers hypocrites, what ends up so commonly happening is this, is we come, we come to know the Lord because, again, we were down and out. We deserve death, and yet Jesus came and he stood in the gap for us. He died for us, for all of our sins, and so we know we're clean. We know we are washed and we are clean before Jesus. And, and, and he washes us whole. And we become so excited about this new life that we have, this eternal life we have in heaven. And then we begin to see, like, hey, I'm clean now. I'm washed. And then we notice all the sin in the world. And so we become, we, we, we have this pride. Oh, I'm clean, so I'm going to get my Clorox. I'm going to get my Windex and start cleaning the rest of the world. And instead of being thankful and understanding how I got clean, see, I didn't get clean with Clorox and Windex. I got clean by the blood of Jesus. But when we interact with the world, what we do is we say, oh, no, 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 no. I know how to fix this problem. I know how to fix this solution. Oh, I know how to fix your marriage. I know how to raise your children correctly. I know how to make sure that your life is good. And let me tell you, you and I were clean. Not by human hands, but by the hands of God. You and I were cleaned not by, 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 by pulling up by ourselves by our bootstraps, not by money, not by wealth, not by success. You and I were cleaned because our God, who had every right to judge us and condemn us to hell, said, instead of condemning you to hell, I'm going to separate myself. I myself am going to die. The way God judged us is so telling of his love for us. Let me say that again. The way God judged us 
is so telling of how he loves us. See, God judges us and he, pays, he takes the burden and he puts it on himself that to the point where Jesus tells God, says to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the burden of all of the world's problems and sins is placed on Jesus instead of the world, instead of you and me. It's placed on him. His judgment shows his love. My question to you, does your judgment display any love? Does it display any compassion? Does it display any grace whatsoever? I think a lot of us are good. You, you all are smart people. You're very quick to analyze and evaluate and be able to see a situation. But the question is, can you take it to the next level and turn your evaluation into something that even when you see someone being totally stupid, totally idiotic, just falling into sin, doing the wrong thing over and over again, can you use that to display love to them? Show grace to them? See, I think many times we... We do the wrong thing. I think many times we turn church to just a bunch of cliques, to a bunch of little groups. And, you know, honestly, I have nothing against cliques. You know, you click with different people, like personality-wise, and that's fine. There are people in church that you just don't get along with, and that's okay. It's not wrong. The question I have is, does that mean you don't love them? Does that mean you don't care about them? I think what happens far too often is we do get so insulated in, in our view of who is my clan, who is my group. That we say, unless you do life the way I do life, if you live life under my standards, unless you live like this, you are unwelcome. And again, this is something even for our church, we have to be very careful and cognizant of. Sometimes we create our own culture. If you don't do it the LCC way, if you don't do it the way that, that our, our little group, that our little church does things, then you're not welcome here. You, you shouldn't worship with us. You shouldn't come into the doors. If you come from a different lifestyle and you come in here, you know what? You need to change your lifestyle, then you can worship with us. You need to change your culture, then you can worship with us. I think God is explaining something. If that's the kind of attitude you have towards your own community, that's the kind of attitude God will have with you. See, God's standard is so impossibly high. It's so high. And if God takes a stance that many times we take, we take on judgment, if you don't live up to our standards, you are kicked out of, of my household. If you don't live up to my standards, you are kicked out of my circle of friends. If you don't live up to my standards, you are kicked out. What right do we have when we, when we speak before the Lord? God will point to his word. He will point to the Bible and say, you didn't live up to the standards that I left for you in the Bible. You didn't live the life that I said you need to live. What right do you think you have to eternity in heaven? What right do you have, do you think, to a relationship with me? He sounds like that angry dad. He sounds like that angry person that is ready just to dole out judgment. But instead what God does is, hey, you don't have any right. You failed so hard. The Bible is very simple. It's very clear. Just live holy. Live, live, live well. And yet you still didn't even do that. What right do you have? 
And God answers his own question. And he says, well, you have no right. But my son's blood gives you the right. So now live by the blood of Jesus. I think many times we think that we know the way. That we know the truth. That we know the meaning of life. But I think there's... I think we need to throw that all away. We don't know the way to life. We don't know the truth. We don't know the meaning of of, of existence. But Jesus does. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is life. And again, this is why this sermon series is so difficult because at the end of the day, it all boils down to this point. Don't judge. Lest you be judged. And the measure in which you judge, that's the measure you're going to get judged by. And so Jesus is making it very clear to his followers. I'm here not to judge you, but to save you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to love you. I'm not here to kick you out of the household. I'm here to bring you into the household. So that's our response. That should be our response. To when people come in through our doors, when people come into our lives, instead of saying, you need to get out, you need to be purified, you need to be cleaned, we need to be drawing them in. Welcoming them into our households and not being worried that they're not being perfect. Some of you know co-workers that you're afraid to bring into your house because you're afraid that they're too sinful. Some of you are, are, are afraid because there are people in your life that they're not Christian enough to bring into our church. What I'm saying is, if that's how you judge them, that's how God will judge you. God looks at you and says, I know you're dirty, but I can clean you. I can wash you. I can love you. God's love is deep. God's love is pure. Church, I challenge you today. Don't judge. Love. It's so simple, but it's so difficult. Don't judge, but love. Too many times we sit in the throne making our decrees, making our statements. This person's going to hell. This person's going to hell. This person's living a wrong life. If that's how you're living your life, then that's how God will treat you. But the God that I serve is the God that looks at me and sees me in all of my sin, all of my failures. And instead of saying, You deserve to go to hell. He says, I'll take your place. I'll die on your behalf. I'll take the burden of your sin. Just come. Eat with me. Dine with me. Live with me. Don't judge, but love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. Lord, it's actually refreshing at times. It's so difficult, but we live in a world full of, of, of judgments, full of condemnation, where we see people constantly bickering and fighting and, and, and spewing out so much judgment and so much condemnation towards one another. I pray, Lord, that we would take the words of Christ seriously. And instead of judging one another, we would love each other. 
Father, that when we do see a speck in our brother's eye, that we would do everything in our power to help our brother. But Lord, that we would never stop loving them. God, that we would never disown them. We would never forsake them because you have never forsaken us. Father, I pray that as we help one another, that we don't have a spirit of condemnation, but we have a spirit of grace. Father, you would lead us into judgment that has no judgment, but is just life. Father, I pray you would help us to be more like Jesus. Father, I pray for this church that the gospel, that the cross would be on their hearts each and every moment, each and every day, that we would not try to fix this world by our hard work, but we would try to lead this world to you. We love you, and in Jesus' name we pray.